This show is distributed by SoundCloud. Welcome. Welcome to episode 196 of Texting, hosted by myself, Justin Vincent, and Jason Roberts. In today's show, Jason is talking to Omri Drury, founder and CEO of the Genome Compiler Corporation. Well, Omri, it's great to have you on the show. Um, I'm really excited to, uh, to talk to you about this stuff. Um, so why don't we uh, just get started by having you give us a quick overview of the field of synthetic biology and also what the genome compiler is and how it fits in. Sure. So you start with the, the small questions, huh? So um, <laughs> the field of synthetic biology is interesting. People uh, have a hard time actually deciding what is synthetic biology. So I like the description of uh, synthetic biology is a lack of uh, respect for the barrier between species. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it's uh, it's using synthetic DNA uh, to you know design, construct, build living things. Right. And that's uh, quite radical. And uh, uh, this field is based on two technologies that are moving very fast, uh, reading DNA or DNA uh, sequencing and writing DNA or DNA synthesis. So reading is great. You know, you can read whole genomes now. It's, uh, you know, the price went down from uh, a few billion dollars reading a human genome to about $1,000, at least in consumables, to reading a genome in less than, in about 10, 12 years. So it's it's much faster than Moore's laws. So now we have huge databases of genomes and genes, all of nature's designs. And now with gene synthesis, you know, writing DNA, which is a cool technology, you can take these parts, these uh, designs of nature, just put them together in what order you want, press print, get the DNA, and test it and you know, create new things. And genome, design, uh, genome compiler is, uh, as its name states, it's, uh, it's a free tool to design and order synthetic DNA. So you can, you know, we call it democratizing the tools of creation. That's our goal, to abstract biology, make it easier, more accessible. Uh, and in the end, what we are trying to build is uh, a combination of an IDE, uh, which is uh, uh, a design, you know, uh, the way you write software, and uh, CAD, uh, computer assistant design for building three-dimensional objects, because biology is software that writes three-dimensional hardware. And, re- and reproduce, which is great. So, so it's sort of like a cross between Eclipse and AutoCAD for synthetic exactly. biology? Exactly. Great. Okay, well, well, before we get too into the specifics of, the, of your company, um, which is also the same name, Genetic uh, Genome Compiler, right? And, mm-hmm. and how the software works. I, I like to get a little background on, you know, how how this idea came to be and how you got started on, uh, on creating a company and creating the software. Sure. So uh, my background is an academic one. As a scientist, I did uh, my first degree at uh, Tel Aviv University in biology, then a PhD in biochemistry. I worked at, uh, as, as a structural biologist, meaning that uh, I was doing very hardcore X-ray crystallography, which is a method where you determine three-dimensional structure of proteins. Um, and then I, I received the Fulbright Fellowship and came to Stanford University and uh, was there for four years doing my postdoc in the School of Medicine. And okay. uh, during those 12 years, 
I knew that what I was doing was, uh, you know, writing biological code. And I, I remember when I told people what I'm doing, uh, usually in my PhD was uh, trying to overexpress genes. I told them, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm writing a code, I'm writing a program, a small genetic program that say, overexpress this gene when I tell you, dear uh, E. coli, or I kill you. And the overexpress was a very strong promoter. When I tell you, it was uh, uh, on and off switch, uh, the, lack op- uh, the lack operator uh, part. And then you just you know, put the gene that you want uh, to overexpress, a uh, terminator to stop the transcription. And then uh, when I ki- all I kill you is by adding uh, antibiotic resistance. And all the, only the bacteria who received the program uh, lived in the antibiotic uh, uh, media. So that was like writing a small genetic uh, program. And I, and I remember talking to my friends and telling them, oh, this is what I'm doing. Uh, but uh, back then I was using the old method of uh, cloning, of uh, you know, PCR, uh, using uh, restriction enzyme to cut uh, ligands to ligand DNA, you know, all this old method. And I, I always hated cloning. I really do. I was never very good at it. It seems like uh, black magic to me because you're working with like small, minuscule amount of... Uh, of a buffer, like a half a microliter, like a microliter of something. And, and I like biochemistry working with protein because then you're working with like liters and you know, a lot of, uh, um, you know, stuff. So it was very hard for me. Well, let me just take a, a quick aside here and, and just ask you about a couple of the, of the terms you mentioned. So buffer is the amount of the actual DNA material, right? That's what you're referring to as the buffer? No, b- buffer is a general name uh, for uh, the, well, a buffer is a, a substance that keeps the pH uh, constant, right? Uh, okay. That's what okay. buffer means. But the, in, in, you know, if you do biochemistry, you use buffer as a meaning of the, the solution where you put uh, all the DNA or the, the, you know, the protein or whatever you're using, you're, you know, inserting it into a buffer. So if you're using restriction enzyme, which are protein that cut DNA, they come in a specific buffer. So in the, in the PCR is the ability to, um, to create a lot of copies of the, of the DNA, right? Is that, yep. that's the, that's the essence. And then, um, the restriction enzymes are like your scissors. They cut the DNA sequence at specific, like if there's a, ser- a specific series of, of nucleotides or bases, it will, it will cut at that specific basis, right? Do you know everything. <laughs> I've read the cliff notes, I guess. And the, uh, and the, uh, and the third thing, the, the ligase is what actually recombines these cut pieces together. Yeah, when you cut the DNA and put them together, you you know you you have to like get the backbone of the DNA to 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 make it stable. Yeah, right. Okay, okay. I just I just want to clarify a few of those things so that our our, our listeners have have uh, forgotten their uh, their bio that they <laughs> took in high school or college, so at least have some idea what we're talking about. Okay, so now you 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 said you 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 hated these old methods, and 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 so then. I guess this idea of something more efficient is germinating in your in the back of your brain. Yeah, over time, and 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 then uh, two things happened while while I was at Stanford. Well, let's call it three. One, I was at Stanford, which is a very entrepreneurial entrepreneurial place. Mm-hmm. Two, uh, twenty twelve, uh, Craig Venter came out with uh, the paper where he demonstrated the ability to uh, chemically write a whole million base pair later uh, a genome, a whole bacterial genome, and boot it up. And I remember my astonishment reading it and saying, oh, this is so cool. You mean I can now file load the genome 
you know, that was what I was thinking. Just file all the genome and start creating uh, new things. That's perfect. So, but when you say Google, when you when you say philo, what do you mean, philo? Uh, I'm sorry, file, load. File. Oh, filed and load. Oh, file load, like as if yeah. you're loading in your your uh, your your project or something. You're loading your exactly your like going to like going to a web browser, pressing file and then pressing uh, you know open or, or you know open file. Sure. So that's okay. Sorry. Yeah, I'm sorry. My it's my Hebrew. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So uh, so and, and and I was looking at uh, you know so what a person do? It goes to Google and looking for uh, a program that does something like that. And I couldn't really find anything that does exactly what I wanted to do. I have a very specific vision in my head of how it should look like, and I was I was just pissed off that nobody had built it so far. So I just decided to do it, and uh, it took me some time to get the people to get everything together, and I'll be happy to talk about it. But uh, that was the start. And also during that four years at Stanford, the price of DNA has been going down about 50% a year. So when I came to Stanford in 2007, the price per letter was like a dollar and a half, something like that, a little bit more. So imagine you're writing a Word document and every time you type a letter, it costs a dollar and a half. You won't write, uh, you know, a whole books, even poems would be expensive. Right. So... Uh, we still used uh, the old method. And I remember quite uh, clearly uh, doing more than 600 clones in the first like few months of, of my postdoc. But then when I left at uh, 2011, the price went down all the way to anywhere between 25 to 40 cents a base pair. So it was dramatic change. And my lab, which was a very rich uh, lab with a lot of uh, resources, you know, moved almost entirely to just ordering DNA. And that was beautiful. You just sat in the computer, designed the experiment, which is the most intellectually, uh, you know, uh, stimulating part. Just design whatever you want to do without constraint of, oh, this experiment is going to take me half a year. It was like, oh, it's so simple. Just, you know, design it, drag and drop, not in a, a real graphical software, but in like, a, you know, what most people use even today, like... A, Excel spreadsheet or Word document. It's that primitive. And um, just order it from a company, get the plasmid, get the, the program ready. And all I needed to do is take this program, this DNA program, and transform the bacteria and see if my program runs, if it, if it works. And that was beautiful. And I remember, wow, if my lab is doing it today, everybody will be doing it in a few years. So I think the timing is also uh, right. Okay, so that's something that I'm I'm very curious about. I mean, I can I can sort of picture how you could um, take these predefined uh, gene uh, genes or or, or or nucleotide sequences and, and and piece them together. And but my what I'm curious about is how do you simulate or how do you run the program without actually running it in real life? I mean, is there some sort of a a simulator built into um, either the genome compiler or some other software? Well, some other software try to do it, but in biology there is so, you know, in, in regular softwares where you have simulation, is, is ob most of the time you know the physics behind it. So if you want to simulate the house, you, you know, the simulation is pretty accurate and you expect the house to stand. Or if you're simulating a car, you expect it to run. Biology is not like that. It's much more complicated and we don't know much of it. So you can't really simulate it. What you can do is design to a point reduce the activation energy, reduce the, the you know, amount of experiment that you have to do, but you still need to add a lot of variation, mutation, directional, you know, a lot of experiment, a lot of robotics, a lot of tries to get where you want to go. 
And so then after you, after you design, um, I say a, a new, uh, genome or, or, and, and you, uh, actually you would probably order it and was it come in like a plasmid, which then allows you to alter your particular strain of E. coli or whatever yeah, so effect you're using. Most people, uh, in, you know, in academia, uh, work on genetic model system because, uh, it's easier, you know, there's a lot of work on it. The genetic is more understood. It's easier to transform the, uh, you know, protocols for doing many of the things that you want to do. So it's, uh, you know, it's much easier. So many people worked in, in E. coli or uh, Saromyces cerevisiae yeast or uh, zebrafish or uh, Arabidopsis, which is a plant uh, model system. Uh, so plasmid is just a circular DNA molecule that can self-replicate in E. coli or yeast, depending of, on its uh, origin of replication. And... Uh, most of the genetic design people are doing today is just designing this small plasmid, and even not the whole plasmid. Most of the time, you just buy a commercial plasmid that has specific properties and just paste your DNA, your gene, into that plasmid. And that plasmid is like a standalone program that can run outside of the genome and can replicate. So when the cell replicates, the programs run with the cell. And usually, you add some antibiotic resistance to that uh, program, so... Because, uh, you know, E. coli doesn't want to run your program most of the time. And if you don't right. have uh, that antibiotic resistance, it will just, you know, remove the plasma because, it, uh, you know, it will help them live. Um, and then, you know, because E. coli's genome is 4.6 million base pair. It would cost you, you know, four, $3 million to synthesize that amount of, you know, and, and construct it today. So right. you can't really build a whole E. coli to do one thing, but you can add a gene two genes, three genes via plasma. But it breaks down when you're trying to do much more um, interesting and, and complex things like metabolic pathway or metabolic engineering. When you create a gene and you, and you insert it in a plasmid, I mean, okay, yeah, and this is, I guess, is where I want to understand how it fits in your software. So you design a gene or series of genes using the genome compiler. You put your order through to a supplier of the genetic Material, so they'll actually print out the sequence. Yeah, so uh, okay. you can you can log in today for to several companies. A company I really admire is DNA 2.0. Uh, it's a uh, it's a company in uh, Silicon Valley. You can just uh, go to the website dna2.0.com and, uh, and just uh, paste your sequence, and they'll send you. They'll ship you a vial. If you're inside of the US, they'll ship you a vial. If you're uh, abroad, they'll just put the DNA, the buffer, into a paper and send you the paper in customs as a document because it's word on paper, <laughs> which, is, uh, yeah, which is great. And then you can just cut the paper, add some buffer, DNA gets released, and you can use it to transform living things. So, right. yeah, and there are many companies like that. Right. Okay, so you order it, then they send you the vial, and then you can do experiments with it. Now, you insert it in a plasmid yourself, or they send you a plasmid that contains this DNA that they've Well, created, it depends. Right? It all, it all comes... You have to think about the price more than anything. So it used to be that the price was so expensive that only if you had to, you would order just the gene itself mm -hmm. and then uh, cut it and put it in your plasmid. Most of the time, several plasmid. Okay. But today, uh, most uh, uh, gene synthesis companies offer uh, to do the cloning for you because they have their own plasmid. And if you don't mind using their plasmid, and usually you don't, it's like just $50 more or 150 if you're using your plasmid. And then, in the near future, DNA synthesis will be so cheap, people will just order everything, because why not? It's uh, cheap enough. 
Right, just great. Order the whole plasma, all oh, the whole custom built plasmid with your pieces. Yeah, why not? Just print. Print. Okay, <laughs> then it shows up at your door, and then and 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 you in a vial, and then you can do your experiments. So, and 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 this is something I want to understand too a little better. Um, is so you have a you have your plasmid, and 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 it's and it's the circular DNA that sits in the nucleus alongside the DNA of say the E. coli or whatever well, organism e- you're. E. coli doesn't have a nucleus, so it's just. Oh right, that's right. Yeah, biology one on one. You get some education here. I'm sorry, I'm, uh, I'm still a bit. I, I, sometimes I still hear my professor on my back saying, "You have to be accurate." <laughs> right, right, right. So it's it's to the cytoplasm, right? It's just floating around. Is that right? Yeah, exactly. Right. Okay. So you don't actually to get a gene to actually do something. It 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 actually the the RNA takes you know copies the makes copies of the DNA and goes on and through the whole process of creating proteins. So you don't actually have to adjust or edit this, the DNA of the E. coli. You just have the plasma sitting alongside it, and they both end up affecting the behavior of the cell because proteins are created based on the two separate pieces of DNA. Is that right? Exactly. So you use the cell machinery. You use, use the proteins of the E. coli to read the, the program that you inserted and execute it. So this is important. If you want to take a, that was part of my postdoc work, if you want to take a gene from human brain, for example, and express it in E. coli, what we call heterological expression, then you have to change the regulation element. You have to change sometimes the codons, the triplet that codes to amino acids, because sometimes it's a slightly different between creatures. So you have to do codon optimization sometimes. Um, the promoters or the DNA uh, parts that uh, uh, the RNA polymerase, the machine that turns DNA into RNA, that then get translated by the ribosome into protein, is slightly different between creatures. So you have to have an uh, uh, E. coli promoter, an E. coli terminator, right? So the machinery is different, and you have to... And in synthetic biology, we call it working with different chassis. So E. Right. coli is a chassis, and, you, and this is why people are working with genetic models because they understand the chassis and they can uh, get uh, more reproducible results. So it's easier to know what would work, uh, hopefully. Right, right. Okay. Um, all right, I think I understand it well enough, and I, hopefully our uh, listeners can get a basic you know, model in their head about how this whole thing works. So um, I'd like to hear a little more about the actual story of how you got the company going. I mean, I saw reading your, uh, the bio of, of um, Genome Compiler on... Um, angel list, I saw that you actually were attended uh, Singularity University and that Genome Compiler was incubated there. Is that correct? Yeah, it's, it's an interesting story. So uh, Singularity University is a very unique place in, at NASA Ames, uh, near uh, Google headquarters, near Stanford at Silicon Valley. And um, they have a flagship summer program that is, you know, right now you have the 2012 program. It's a 12-week, I think, program where they select 80 people from around the world. Usually they have uh, several thousand uh, applicants. But I didn't do that. (laughs) I didn't apply. Uh, There is also some competition, global competition to attend. I didn't win them. I didn't actually know about them. I was doing my postdoc at Stanford. And um, I had my idea. I actually got my team by then. And uh, we we developed a prototype. But... uh, when I was searching a means to explain my team, which are all computer scientists, uh, what exactly I'm talking, you know, the crazy biology, you know, biology guy, I, I uh, came upon uh, a lecture of uh, Andrew Hassel, 
from Singularity University giving introduction to synthetic biology. And he spoke so well that I just uh, forwarded this email to my team. And then I told myself, you know, well, you know, Singularity University Ames is just here. So being a chutzpah Israeli, I just uh, drove there, knocked on the door and <laughs> found uh, Andrew and told him, hey, Andrew, look what I built. And he liked it, and this is how it started. So, and then he introduced me to many people uh, that became our advisors, you know, board members, investors, all of that. And during the summer of 2012, uh, 2011, I was a de facto, I wasn't elected, I wasn't part of the GSP, the uh, summer uh, graduate students, but I was there all, all, all summer, and there were people there helping me with the deck, with the financial model, with the, you know, with the, uh, angel investment with so many things so when the summer ended i i raised the the first money for the company and you know really started to work you know that i don't think i could do it without it all my investors most of my investors i would say got the singularity university treatment they really got brainwashed for several years about the benefits and the future of synthetic biology so they were very excited about it i couldn't do it myself you know i was really dependent on them and they are a great place. Some people misrepresent SU as just Ray Kurzweil and uh, you know his ideas, but it's more like a place when they tell you, you know, you are a smart people. This is the biggest problem in the world, the biggest real problem, not building another social network or a farting app. No, this is right. the real problem, like hunger, like energy, like uh, you know, commodities. Uh, water, all of that. And this is a technology that is rapidly changing. So do something important with your life, you people that we identified as, uh, as people that can do stuff. Use this technology to solve these problems. And, uh, you know, it's a, it's a good place, and I really admire them. Yeah, that's amazing. I, and, and I'd like to ask you a little more about it, but I, I just want to follow up with this one thing. So you actually drove to the Singularity University campus parked your car and just started, opened one of the building doors and just started wandering the halls looking for the guy? I mean, how did you, yeah, how did that happen? Exactly. Did, how did you know, did you have a, his office number? Like you actually kind of knew where his, the door to his office was and just kind of hung out in the hallway near there? How did you run into uh, him? you never been to SU, I guess. So it's, no, no. Offices. I saw such a new uh, university. So I knew they're, they're having a, a, a meeting there and okay. uh, one of their executive programs, I think. Uh, so I just drove to the NASA, NASA campus, and there is guards on the entrance. And uh, you'd think that they'll question you, but you just say, I'm going to ask you. So they say, oh, move, you know, move right along. Uh, okay. I just drove to the building, knock on the door, and said, I'm looking for Andrew Russell. And somebody said, yeah, here he is. That was very simple. So huh. It's a direct approach, right? You know, it's, like, that's, it's so obvious, right? I just go talk to the guy. So you, you, you figured, I mean, there's always this sort of, rule of thumb it's like you know it's better to it's better to talk to someone on the phone than it is to say email them and it's it's better to meet someone in person than it is to talk to them in terms of establishing a real connection and, and sense of trust and do you feel that if say you had just emailed him it would not have worked out as well do you think it, that was a critical step in actually making this thing happen the best thing is showing somebody something real so if somebody is very excited about something and you know that he's passionate about something and you come and say, look what I built, exactly what you wanted. You know, exactly. it's very powerful. You know, you're people right, you're appreciate right. doing stuff. Not a lot of people do stuff. Most people talk about stuff. Actually, doing stuff is very hard. And if you actually do something, people appreciate that. 
Andrew is also a great person. So <laughs> personally, he's a, he's a personal friend and I really admire him. He's a advisor of our company and a really fascinating person. He's a great uh, educator in this field. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, that's really cool. So, um, yeah, and actually, I, I saw an, a, a, um, a talk he gave, or at least I'm halfway through watching it, and he seems like a nice guy, so I can, I can see why you probably would want to approach him directly. So, okay, let me ask you to back up even more. So, I, I want to hear about how you, 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 know, you came up with the idea, and you, you got a couple of people to work with you and, you, and you got the first version or the beta version or alpha version of the software build. So, starting is always the hardest thing. Um, I can't really put my finger when I actually start. Some people think that uh, when you think about the idea, it's just like a flash of brilliance. It's nothing like that, you know. It's uh, I think the it grow in my mind in the last twelve years what is needed. Just being in this field and being frustrated about how things are working. And if you tell me to put my finger, what was the the exact um, you know inspiration for what we are building? I can't give you just one inspiration. I think like. This is why I don't like patents so much, because I think like, like everything else, I took some inspiration from the iPad, from my phone, from, from software I like, from uh, my research, from other people, from movies, from pictures, from books, from so many things. You know, I can't really synthesize all of that to saying, okay, that was the inspiration. And also, the first side, the basic idea was there for a while, but it also changed a lot. It changed with the team member. You know, different team member, you know, comes with different ideas and you say, oh, that's even better than what I was thinking. And oh, that, that is exactly what I meant or what I really meant when I, when I was thinking about that. So it, it changed over time. And for example, for me, uh, I, 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 I tried to, you know, to do it academically in the beginning. and It didn't work. And when I found my team that I, you know, in the end had to pay, being a for-profit uh, enterprise actually... I remember still driving, I, I was, uh, stay, you know, we, me and my wife lived in Berkeley where she was doing her postdoc and driving from Berkeley to Stanford is a nice drive, but it's an hour and a half. And I can still remember pulling over on the side of the road, talking to my, you know, just putting a, a voice memo on my phone stating, oh, I have this great idea about how we might make money or this feature needs to look like that or whatever. So, and also working with graphical designers is, uh, is just a pleasure. We have a great one in, uh, in my company. And also I work with uh, uh, a very good uh, uh, graphical designer named Sofia from Singularity. So uh, it's such a pleasure to explain what you want. They are building, they are, you know, sometimes you get frustrated with codals because it takes some time. And for graphical designers, you just, you know, make the picture and it looks real. And right. uh, and it's so fun, you know, demonstrate, you know, just explaining how this is a vision plus minus, and then she gives you a picture, and you love part of it, part not, and you explain, and then you get a new picture, and in the end you say, yes, please build me this. Right. And then you have to wait a long time until it's built. <laughs> right. Well, okay. So how did you get the first version of the software? Do Do you know how to write code yourself? Did you start playing around, or did you have a friend that you could work with? I mean, how did that come together? So it started, I guess, at uh, uh, 2010, just uh, a little bit after uh, Craig Venter uh, released his uh, science paper. And um, my wife uh, and I uh, flew back to Israel. Uh, my wife was uh, doing her uh, you know, round trip in Israel, uh, talking to different universities, trying to get accepted to uh, an academic position. And uh, one day, so I had some free time. So one day I came to one of my friends that uh, works in Intel. 
And he asked me, you know, what I'm doing. And I told him, you know, um, this is the idea I have. And he got really excited and told me, oh, I have a team to recommend you. You know, they all work together. They're all good friends. You know, you should talk to them. Maybe they get excited. So the same day, you know, got them in the place, you know, explained about biology. And computer science guys, when you explain the basics of biology in the, in the right way, they get really excited because it's it looks like, like computer science, but like in real squishy living things, right? So they get really excited about it. And um, so we got them really excited. I explained like just the basic parameters and then it was very hard. It took us almost uh, like half a year plus, uh, plus, plus over Skype during their overtime, you know, nights, uh, early morning and weekends. They built the basic uh, prototype uh, in C Sharp and .NET, it worked only on Windows. It was kludgy and not look very well, but it worked. And uh, and they used that prototype to to you know to go to Andrew, to talk to a lot of other people, and to to get the basic funding. Uh, yeah. Now, and so were these guys a team at Intel? No, they were friends that worked in a similar you know in one huge division, but in different teams. So uh, ah, okay. you know, they weren't working exactly with each other, all of them, but they're good friends and they have a complement skill set. So one of them is a great uh, like leader of men. He's very good at organizing a project and, and uh, managing people. One of them is a great requirement uh, person that can listen to my blubber and uh, makes like a coherent requirement that can software guys can actually build. And the other guy is just a jack-of-all-trade wizard uh, that can write in every language and do everything that you need and code like, like the wind. So uh, all together, you know, everybody had his own place and everybody was happy about his place and, uh, you know, and we worked really well together. And now, now how, did you, how did you write down or figure out, like, who is part of this company or not? I mean, was this all informal for a while and you just agreed that we'll figure something out later or did you come up with you know some some outline for how you were going to organize a a company right out of the gate because i mean you know you, you sometimes it's it's one thing to work with someone who's a who's like a childhood friend or a roommate or something and say hey let's work on this for a few months and then you figure out who owns what but it's another thing to just meet some people who you and then have them start spending months working on something with nobody saying oh you own this and i own this yeah so the good thing about you know the guys uh, the, in Israel, and being in Israel, I guess, or not just in Israel, but I guess in other places, that we, we, have, we share the same mentality. So mm-hmm. people trust each other, I think, on that basic level. And uh, we agreed on the basic term. You know, you can have 100% of nothing, or yep. you can have a smaller percent of something. So you have to be generous. You have to acknowledge that people uh, in equity, real equity. And uh, that's how it started. You know, you give people equity, and they work for nothing in the beginning until you raise money, and you can afford paying them. But uh, this is how you do it. You know, it's it, a lot of things in startup people don't recognize. It. It's not the idea. It's not the, the funding. It's, it's the people. You have to know how to talk to people, get people excited, get people to trust you, get people to fund, you know, spend their time and money on you. you know, that's, that's the biggest secret of startup more than anything else. It's the people. Did, did you actually... Corporate, or did you just say write down on a in an email or piece of paper that this is a, this is essentially the terms of this, that we're operating? We just agreed and did a gentleman handshake, and you know what? That was much better than any you know, lawyer agreement because uh, 
especially when you're just starting, especially if it's your first company, you'll do a lot of stupid mistakes in the beginning. And you don't want to have those mistakes in writing. You know, it's better just to... And, and, you know, sometimes people flake out. Sometimes people are the wrong people. You know, they don't want to, to leave their job. They don't want to engage as much as you thought they should. You know, you'll, you'll also get, uh, you know, it's all about the people and you get also disappointed by some people. Um, so you have to be very careful, as, uh, especially the first-time entrepreneur, to everybody has to vest, you know, you know be careful what you write with lawyers because, you know, it's, you, have to, you have to be careful and smart about things. So everything in the beginning was trust. It was just plain trust and, you know, people understand that, uh, you know, if they, ex- they are expected to, to, to work on that. And if they don't uh, work enough, then, uh, you know, they can't, you know, it's, it's not a promise that we have to fulfill. It's only if they fulfill their part of the bargain. So that's how we thought. But yeah, we incorporated in the end, once we, before we raise money, of course, then you have to incorporate to get a bank account, all of that. So incorporating the U.S. as a, as a cookie cutter, Delaware C corporation, and, uh, that was when I was still in the U.S. And I had a lot of help with uh, the Singularity guys and uh, the good people and expensive people at Winston's and Cine. <laughs> Uh, right. So um, I think you mentioned uh, that the your co-founders were all Israeli. Is that right? Uh, not, you know, so most of them, yes. Um, you know, some of my co-founders, I, you know, I, I, I see, uh, for example, Andrew Hessel as one of our co-founders. Oh, it was, okay. He was very helpful. And some other friends in the U.S. and uh, partners from uh, Singular University, I consider them as co-founders. But the, the initial execution teams, yes, they were from Israel. And, and, and so you have since moved, back, moved to Israel, right? And, and, and I'm imagining the whole, as a whole team, everybody who was initially in working at Intel – and living in the uh, Silicon Valley area, everybody's transplanted, been transplanted no, so, into. In, in. So they were working in Intel in Israel, and uh, oh. uh, we we did the prototype via Skype. So it was very hard because I was still in the U.S. And uh, so uh, I moved because you know my wife got assistant professorship uh, here in Israel, and she's doing nanotechnology research at the Technion. And um, so we moved back, but I'm on the plane a lot. I'm uh, in the U.S. almost all the time because the company, after all, is American and. Our investors, our you know, our suppliers, our customers are all there. You know, all the excitement, all the energy is in the U.S. And the, you know, do you feel like at some point you're going to need to move the company back and yourself back to uh, America? Yeah, I feel that uh, that might be something that will happen in the end. I think that uh, might be inevitable. Right. Hopefully, okay. most of so most big companies in in our field, uh, you know, the big field of technology has uh, R&D centers in Israel from Google, Microsoft, uh, Intel, you know, even Apple have their first, their first um, R&D center outside of the U.S. in Israel. Uh, and they waited for Steve Jobs to die to do that because he didn't want to, to have anywhere uh, by, uh, but uh, the U.S. But um, So hopefully we can still stay here even when we exit or get bought or in the future and uh, keep the development here. Right, right. So, how is the start, or what is the startup scene like in Israel? Um, I've heard that it's that it's incredibly vibrant. That for such a small place, that there's a lot of activity. Yeah, you call it startup nation here. Uh, <laughs> it seems like everybody here, in, especially where we are in, Tel- in the heart of Tel Aviv, it seems like everybody has a startup. You know? It feels a lot like Silicon Valley. It doesn't have the scale, not in money and 
opportunities, I would say, as Silicon Valley, but it's second to that. You know, a lot of very good people that can help each other, very tight-knit uh, social network of entrepreneurs. And uh, the main problem, I think, is uh, finance. Most of the funding is still done outside of Israel. And most of the market, because it's a small market, it's, uh, you know, you have to do your marketing and sales mostly outside of Israel. This is, how it, this is why it's very hard to create big companies here. Most of the Israeli tech companies get bought and, uh, and maybe stay as an R&D center, but not as the heart of the corporate structure. Right. Well, what do you see as your market? Um, are these mostly just academic labs? Starting, yeah. So starting, it's academic labs. And hopefully do-it-yourself biologies, like the interview you had, I think, uh, just a few weeks ago, so uh, about biohacking with Castle. Um, but I see, I can very easily see the future where if we build those tools that will democratize uh, genetic engineering by abstracting biology, making making it more and more easier for people outside of the research lab that can, can just come in, do their design in a very easy to use uh, free software, order the DNA from uh, ever uh, cheap suppliers and, and do the experiment in a do-it-yourself lab and you know, build amazing things. That's what I feel the future would be. The same, the same as now you have a lot of small uh, software companies. I believe in the future you'll have a lot of small uh, biological software companies. You know, a few people doing startup in biology just just like today where you can start a consumer web startup for almost nothing. The same thing in biology. Just have an idea, design it, all of the DNA, go to a community lab and try it. Try it out. Yeah, it seems like we're about we're, we're in a stage that's equivalent to, say, where the computers, the personal computers were in, say, like the mid-1970s. It's sort of pre-Apple II. It's, um, it seems like we're just like a couple years away before the first, or maybe five years away before the first Apple II comes out or something. I mean, what, what's your perspective on that? I mean, how, what's, the, what's the time frame? I think you're absolutely correct, but I think that it will be much faster than computers because uh, if you look at computers, the whole industry is based on Moore's Law, mm -hmm. and uh, synthetic biology is based on uh, the Moore's Law of DNA, you know, both reading and writing DNA becoming much cheaper over time, and the exponential rate of uh, the decrease in the in the ability to in the price uh, and the ability to write uh, to read write and construct DNA it's much faster than most also. so I think it will take much faster to to get there and we already right. have those uh, computer science model the, the big companies to to, to emulate and uh, we are looking for the HP of uh, biology we are looking for uh, Apple of biology they are not there yet of the Microsoft you know. I gave an interview recently with Leo Laporte, and uh, I came there with a friend of mine, Austin Hines, who starts uh, a new next-generation DNA synthesis company. And uh, I told uh, I told uh, Leo that we call ourselves the Wintel of uh, of biology, so the <laughs> software and the hardware of biology. And who knows? We just might be. You know, you never know. That's really cool. I like that analogy. Um, and it also seems like we're going to benefit from the internet in the sense that you have all of this expertise that's going to be brought to bear, that you can access people and companies so much more easily. And what you pointed out earlier, which is the fact that you can just outsource to these different companies that can print your DNA or to get different parts. Um, and, and it seems like all of that will play into it. The most important part is the imagination and design. That's the hardest part also. So, uh, 
you have to know what you want to do. First of all, you have to know that you can do it. <laughs> I think having the certainty, yes, I can do it. I, you know, it's possible. So let's, let's do this. You know, I don't care what society said. We can do it. And then understanding enough biology to do the design or the designs correctly. And then having the infrastructure uh, of public labs, hopefully more in the future. Right now, it's very limited to the U.S., I think several other places, to actually do the experiments. And you need some money, but I think you don't need much money, and the amount of money you need decreases over time. For example, in my, the, in, in my talk, I, I, I talk a lot about the future, and the, you know, especially my Google Solve for X talk, I talked about, okay, this is what our vision is. And then in the future, people just might look for just trees and find an icon of a tree and just drag that icon into the canvas to be designed and just take the application for fireflies and make them glow and just compile it into the tree and hit, you know, voila, you get a, you know, a solar powered, sustainable, self-assembled, you know, street lamps. You know, why not? You know, it can be that easy. And I got such a great reaction that I told myself, why not do it? Just as, just as the genome compiler software, you know, why not do it? Why not just do this? It shouldn't right. be that hard. It's five genes, uh, two subunits of the luciferase, the gene that they create the bioluminescence, and then the three genes required to produce a material that Luciferas break to, to get the luminescence out. And uh, it's five genes, it's 9,000, about 9,000 genetic letters. It will cost me about $3,000 to synthesize, or maybe $4,000. I might need to do several constructs and then do the transformation. And I can get at least a faintly glowing Arabidopsis, if not a glowing tree, and it will cost me less than $100,000, and I can get that on Kickstarter. So I really yeah. <laughs> I, I plan, I plan to do a Kickstarter project for glowing trees or glowing plants. I'm still working on that to do the design of that project. But, you know, why not? I think it will be great to demonstrate to people that you can design on free software, get the DNA, go to community lab, get glowing trees. It's so powerful, I think. And I think that once people see the seedlings, you know, glowing faintly, like it will be so beautiful and like meant to be that it will really shake people in a good direction. Because one of the problems of synthetic biology is people already all the time thinking about the bad implications that could happen that are not very likely at all. So well, I want to give like a good demonstration. Well, yeah, you know, it's seeing is believing, right? I mean, you, you show people an example of something and they get it. Otherwise, people don't really understand what you're talking about or why it's important or why it's cool. And it almost sounds like what you're talking about is like some of the trees you would see in like the movie Avatar. Exactly. <laughs> you know? I want to put some of those pictures. You know, it's, uh, we call it turning your memes to genes, you know, turning your ideas into living things. It's so powerful. I just love, you know, my, my main passion is doing that. You know, I, I'm building the tools so I can have the tools to do the design that I want to. Right, That's yeah. My future. That makes that makes total sense. So, all right, I'm going to ask you a question. I, I asked Athal uh, at the end of our interview, and I, I want to ask you, um, and because I've, I've been talking about it on the show. So, my my personal fantasy project, what I really would like like to do, because I'm I'm really excited about this field, and I think I'm going to start um, experimenting with it, is is the idea of of of, of taking the um, ability to metabolize plastic, which I know there's been a couple organisms and bacteria, I think, and a fungus that can metabolize um, certain types of plastic and transplant them into some type of sea algae so that they can consume all that plastic that's floating around in the Pacific Ocean. The great, what's that's called a the great, great project. Ocean. But I have something yeah. to tell you. I think the nature sure. is going to scoop you. Oh, you think they're working? Oh, you, think, oh, you, think someone, you think it's going to evolve on its own? 
I'll, I'll tell you what. So it might take evolutionary time, which is much slower than what you're doing. So I, I recommend you and say, hey, go for it. But uh, right now, people are worried about this plastic, uh, you know, uh, uh, USA size or Texas size, uh, ocean, you know, uh, uh, patches of plastic on the oceans. Right. But I, I, I want to tell people that's the perfect place for evolution. You have high energy substance, which is plastic is high energy substance like any polymer. You know, if you can break it down, you can get a lot of energy, right? It's high energy chemical that is floating in the best place for evolution on Earth and the ocean where you have the most genetic abundance there is under the UV light of the sun, you know, a lot of mutation. And the first creature that will learn how to break down this chemical, which is, you know, not that different from oil or from other, you know, polymers that nature know how to chew up anyhow, like, uh, like plants material, right? It's a polymer of uh, sugars that, plant, that uh, bacteria evolved to, to know how to uh, break down. And, and the first bacteria that will learn how to eat it will just, you know, you know will win the evolutionary jackpot, you know, enough food for the rest of it, uh, you know, for, for everything they want. So, you know, right now the plastic is in the evolutionary test chamber, and I expect a result pretty soon. But uh, soon, in evolutionary time, it might be not very comfortable for us, uh, you know, right. uh, humans. So go for it. I like it. so. How on a scale of difficulty, uh, you know, how how would you describe that? I mean, is that something that you think could be done by a committed, uh, you know, do-it-yourself biohacker over the next? three to five years, or is this something that's like industrial scale, multiple academic labs collaborating for years? How well, if you... You, if you try to do something that nature already developed and move right. it from one picture to another or create something that is a, you know, a combination of what nature designed, then I would tell you, I think you can do it. If you're trying to evolve something that hasn't been evolved yet because nature hasn't been around to, to attack it yet, then the only way I see move, to move forward, because it's very... We as humans still can't design, really design from scratch, the amazing machines which are products. We just don't know how to do it. We don't even know how they fold, you know, above right. a specific size. So how would you design? I don't know how to start designing a protein that will chew down plastic. I have no idea. And my background is structural value. I have no idea where to start. But what I can do is have a, lot, have a variety of uh, bacteria an algae, like uh, try to find a very v- variety of, uh, of a creature and put them in a minimal, minimal, substa- uh, minimal uh, um, media with increasing amount of plastics, redu- reducing the amount of uh, nourishment and some uh, mutagen and try to speed up evolution until I find something that chew the plastic out because it's the only way for him to survive. And nature is powerful. Nature wants to, you know, the power of living things, the desire to live is very strong. So if you, if you make them survive only by, by eating plastic, they will find a way. You know, they will find a way. They are smarter than us. So try to speed up evolution until you see that the plastic you, you put into the vial get uh, dissolved and then, you know, sequence the bacteria, find out exactly what enzyme got evolved to do that and uh, start to engineer it, change it, and then, um, you know, move it around to new creatures. 
All right. Well, damn it, I'm going to do it then. <laughs> I <Go>. didn't even talk. <laughs> and I'm going to use it. And I'm going to use the genome compiler to to compile it. So I want to ask you about. So let's get back to the uh, the software a little bit. The most recent version, the version that I played with a few weeks ago, was uh, written in Adobe Air. So you made the decision, I guess, at some point to to, to migrate from .NET to, I guess, more of a cross-platform uh, yes. application. Yes, and I had a discussion about it with Kafel over uh, Google. Uh, uh, mailing, uh, you know, um, messaging boards, and uh, I know some people have an aversion to Adobe Air, and uh, mm-hmm. you know, it's like a dying uh, platform and all of that. You know, I'm trying to be tech agnostic. I'm not trying to, you know, play the religious wars of technology. I, I don't care really. I'm a biologist. I don't care. The, what what we try to do is just do the best user experience in the most cross-platform way that we can because we know people want to use it on Macs and PCs and the web and tablets and Windows and, and phones and whatever and everything else. So how do we build it in a you know scalable, beautiful way in the time we have with the resources we had? So we had actually, we, we looked around for all tech possibilities from HTML5 to .NET to, you know, Cocot. Thing and did a huge spreadsheet of uh, option, time to market, price, you know, which customers we can support and all of that, and just made the decision at the end. And I think that what would happen maybe in a year, maybe in two years, maybe even earlier, we might switch the technology platform, and, but keep the, keep the user experience. So our users won't even recognize that we changed it. Just one night would work. It will work the same, but on a different platform. Right, right. Now, is it still in beta, or is it in a, uh, I don't know, I guess a version one yet? Well, so we, with the release with, that we, the public release that we had a few weeks ago, uh, by the way, if you launch our software, you'll get an update. So, uh, oh, okay, great. So, uh, we call it the alpha version. Um, it's the first version that we feel comfortable uh, releasing outside, uh, you know, a few labs that we were talking about too, because it's not perfect. There is so much more to build. You know, we are, you know, there are software around that has been around for ten or six years and, and more, and they build so much. And and we need to build not just support the past activities, but thinking about the future. So, about genomes, right? It's very hard to load the whole genome. No, and I don't. I, most of the program will crash when you try to do it. And you have to. It's a whole different way of scaling and thinking about things when you're you're starting something new and thinking about synthetic biology, thinking about just taking DNA, what whatever size it is and whatever complexity, and just designing and ordering it. So it's a whole different way of thinking. So yeah, it's uh, it's uh, it's quite a challenge. So what we build is just the basic basic features, and we're adding. Of other basic features, for example, you know the 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 release we you know the update that we just released yesterday allow you to use uh, GeneBank, one of the most popular file formats in biology. You know, we just implemented today because again we had x amount of people, x amount of money, and uh, you know we can do so much. Right. Yeah. Well. Yeah. You got to start simple and get the basic thing out there. So that that makes sense. Um. No. Have you had much? Um, or, you know, could you tell us a little bit about the Synbio startup launchpad? Because I know that's been started out of the Singularity University, and I'm and I, I know that Andrew Hessel or Hessel is is sort of the one running it. I mean, and there's a few few kind of cool companies about that. I mean, are you? Are you uh, yeah, I'm you know, a mentor in, in, there. In okay, <laughs> I'm one of the mentors of the companies there, and I really like some of them. And um, 
So, and I have to be quick. So we can, we need to sure. finish in an hour, like in four minutes. But uh, sure. uh, so it's a great it's a great thing that Andrew is doing. Uh, they're giving 50k to each company. I know that they plan to support seven or eight companies, but only got three good submissions. So if you have good idea and good submission, go ahead. You can still get in. So I uh, recommend people to do it. And it's the first. It's great. I, I just love it. It's the first time that the people can start with the iGEM, the iGEM competition, the National Genetic Engineered Machine Competition uh, uh, group. So just a biohacker with a good idea can really find a place where he can, you know, incubate his idea and make it for, you know, a real company. And I really admire them and, and we're supporting them and we'll support them anywhere we can. It's like the new Y combinator for biology. So iGEM, yeah, I've heard about that, the iGEM competitions, and I know they have a high school division and a collegiate division, but it sounds like they also have sort of a, uh, um, a I don't know, a senior level entrepreneurial division. Is that right? So even if you're not in college, you could sort of create your own team and enter? Um, yes, I'm not sure about that. I know the main competition is college level, and then, uh, 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 once again, in a minute, <laughs> my wife is getting touchy. So. Sure. Uh, <laughs> Okay. All right. Yeah, there is a lot of uh, party outside, and I'm uh, here, and she's like, "Oh, Marie, <laughs> I'm hungry." <laughs> so, okay. uh, yeah. So, so the main competition is uh, is uh, college level. There is some high school, and I really admire that because you know, it, I, I gave a I gave a talk to a high school student, and the the shine in their eyes when they just going from the old books and the old way of learning to showing them the future is just it's worth it you know they really get excited about the possibilities in the future they really get connected about the the possibilities of what we can do and uh, so that's great i know that they you know iGEM turned from just being a pilot trick with uh, with e coli like make glow smell like a banana to real medical and, and biotechnology implications. So the last year, the 2012, 2011 uh, winner from the University of uh, Washington did some amazing, amazing things during two months' uh, work. Something that they found a compound that uh, might help a celiac uh, uh, patient uh, that was 800 times better than what's on trials. A bunch of wow. kids during a few months of summer. So, and the possibilities are just staggering. If you think about genetic, which, you know, it's a billion-dollar company that started with, you know, a few hundred genetic letters. Overexpression of human insulin in bacteria. That's all. And that saved the lives of how many uh, diabetes persons that uh, in the past need to get the, the insulin from, uh, um, from pigs or cows or, or dogs, you know, from the, you know, and now it's so cheap that, uh, you, know, you know, nobody, well, Nobody, most of the people don't, don't die from the lack of insulin. They might die from other reasons. But uh, think about the impact of one small genetic construct. So, but in biology, small genetic construct can, can, can be very uh, interesting and important for all of us. And, wow. and again, I have to tell you that what drives me, you know, what really drives me, what's my, what, you know, what keeps me up in the dark times of entrepreneurship is is the, just the knowledge, and it's a firm knowledge that I have, that we live in an unsustainable world. It's so obvious to me that we can't just be reliant on oil, natural gas, and coal to produce everything from food to energy to you know, fuels to pharmaceuticals, plastics, fertilizers, almost everything around you is made from these resources, made from nature, by the way. All fossil fuel in the world, just 30 days of sunlight captured by nature, that's all. And and we can't just rely on it. And, and 
it's 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 just suicidal as a, as a civilization, and we can't go back for you know two hundred years ago. You know, we have to move forward, and only biology has the scale to solve our problem. And you think about biology, you think about life. Life has been around for four billion years because life is an essential, renewable, uh, sustainable source. It can use sugars and sunlight to produce almost all chemicals we get from fossil fuels. So this is so important. We need to, it's such a huge monumental challenge. We need bacteria to produce biofuels, to produce uh, all different kinds of chemicals, of drugs, of, of fertilizers, of everything that we get from fossil fuels. We need to do so much work. And only biology can scale, I believe. So it's so important, you know, uh, to develop this, uh, this technology. And uh, yeah, that's what really drives me more than anything else. Well, um, I could probably keep you on for another two to three hours asking you questions, but uh, I know I, I know your wife would kill you if I kept you on for another ten minutes. So I want to let you go, and I, I want to thank you for spending the time that you did with me here. And uh, I've I've learned a lot, and it's been it's been as educational and inspirational. So I you know again, it's uh, thanks so much for spending time with us. Contacting me, and uh, I'm sorry that I didn't let you finish all your sentences. I know that uh, sometimes I get too excited and I just uh, start my uh, monologue. So, thank you so much for inviting me here. No, no problem. Thanks, thanks again, and uh, uh, we'll definitely uh, have to touch base with you again and, and, and see how a Genome Compiler uh, progresses because it's an exciting technology, and I think it's going to be an important company. So, hey, good luck. tell you. Go to genomecompiler.com and install it. Works on Macs and PC, and we'd really like to like to know to get your feedback to see what you think, what we need to change, how we need to build it. So, please do that. Got it. We'll do. All right, that's a wrap. We're out. <laughs>